0: Here at Mamlaka Hill Chapel, Ruaka Campus, we have prepared a Christmas series that will remind you the hope in Jesus through his miraculous birth. My name is Philip Maura, and here is today's message. As we proceed to hearing from God's word, this is the season of Christmas. We call it in the Christian calendar, Advent. Advent meaning coming, the coming of our Lord. And so I hope that I'm not too late to say Merry Christmas all right, you're not yet there. You know, let me remind you, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm saying this because the story of Jesus Christ has captivated the human race for many, many, many years. And it is a story of God. It was there, this story started even before the foundations of the earth. You know, even in the book of Genesis, when God promises that there is, there is someone who will come. And we'll be able to crush the serpent. And the nation of Israel, you know, and later even including us, we were waiting for this promised Messiah. And so, it is a story of how God came to earth. You know, how he was born to a peasant girl in a way of divine conception. How he worked, you know, on this earth in his father's carpentry shop. And we do not know when he left this job, the woodwork, because, but around 30 years later, around there, he became a preacher of the good news. And his ministry grew big to the extent that he would feed even 5,000 men. So the ministry was really growing. But one of the interesting things is that he never owned a church or a synagogue, so to speak. He never owned a home. He never started his own family. He never traveled much. He never had friends in the high places. But instead he formed a small group of friends. Very small. Twelve men who he worked with, encouraged, prayed for, and ministered to, and mentored. And these friends were not the best in the society. They had not gone to the best high schools. Actually, later in the book of Acts, chapter four, verse thirteen, you know, people used to say that these disciples of Jesus, they were unschooled; they were ordinary men; they didn't have anything to their name. Actually, when the Bible says that they were schooled and uh, and ordinary, it is the English translation that loses the intensity of that statement. When you check it in its original language, it means idiots. These were idiots. But when other people saw the courage that they had, these idiots, then people started saying, oh, it's because they had spent time with Jesus. Let me tell you, friends, no time you spend with Jesus that we go to waste. You always come out of that victorious. So that time that you come to spend in church, hearing God's word, singing to God, let me tell you, you may not see the fruit of that, but other people around indeed will see that this person is different, and the reason why they are different, as much as they are idiots and schooled, you know, the, the Greek word there is idiotes agramatos. <laughs> they are idiots and they can't speak grammar. <laughs> because they have spent time with Jesus, Acts for that, this, he says, then they were bold and courageous. They, at the end, his life, this Jesus, his life was not so not very interesting. In in, in any case, he died between two thieves and he didn't, in his death, his eulogy didn't read like psalm, the way we write for departed friends and family members, celebrating our life well lived. There wasn't anything like that. How can it be called a life well lived and yet he didn't have anything to his name? Even his only Adly possession that is a garment, a coat, a clock was gambled by his executioners. He didn't even have his own burial site where he was to be laid to rest. You know, it was a borrowed tomb. But despite all these, friends, for 2,000 years, kingdoms have risen and fallen. Kings have gone to wars, wars have been fought, some have been defeated, others have won treaties have been enacted, endless books and arguments have been written, yet all this put together, all the events in human history, no one has affected the lives of the human race like our Lord Jesus Christ. And for over 2,000 years, the word has always spoken of the unusual way how he came to us, how he was born, his nativity, his incarnation, all that The world has been very, very curious. And trying to defeat the idea that God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. The world has tried to defeat that idea. But because it has not won, one of the things that have happened is that they have trivialized that idea by making Christmas season a commercial season, a time to splash money, a time to engage in things that even don't bring uh, glory to God's name. That's the way they try to defeat it. I pray that as we get into this Christmas season, that indeed we'll be able to go deeper and ask our, uh, the question, why did Christ come? To whom did he come? Because if we devote our, our I mean some, enough time in our schedules, we'll be able to learn that the way that God came into the human history and the reasons why. So, these three Sundays today included, we'll take a journey through the book of Luke, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we'll be able to study what God really says about that. But let me give you some background about the book of Luke. Luke, the writer of this book, was a, a doctor, he was a physician, and he wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he was a close ally of the Apostle Paul. And Paul later somewhere, we call him the beloved physician. That he was a doctor who was loved. He was a doctor and he uses his training, his background, which is a little bit intense, to go and research about this king. And he researches that on behalf of someone. He calls him Theophilus. And it's there in, the, in, in, in chapter 1 from verse, uh, verse 3. He says this, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus. And Theophilus there means a friend of God. As much as he was writing to this one individual, also, we can be able to learn a lot from his research, actually. And the reason why I like this it's because it's most likely that Luke also interviewed Mary, mother of Jesus. Because when you read in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, And Mary kept these things in her heart. It seems like Mary had preserved these things in her heart until he was, she was questioned, and most likely by Luke. And so, as we read this book, I pray that our minds will be open. So that we can celebrate and give thanks for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ to us. So Luke starts us off with the birth of a foreigner of Christ called John the Baptist from verse five, and so that's where we are going to read from. It says this: In the time of uh, of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priest uh, pres, uh, from the who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both both well on in years. So that's how the story starts. And first Luke tells us that it was in the time of Herod, king of Judea. And that's how people used to actually mark the dates. The dates were marked, you know, when maybe a king was ruling. And that marks when these events happened. And to us, Luke is telling us that the events or the circumstances surrounding Christ's death happened when Herod was the king. What does that mean? Herod was a king and he had come from a lineage of the Edomites. Maybe Edomites, that may not ring a bell to you. You may not care. Edomites, who cares for them? You know, but Edomites were also were the descendants of Edom. And Edom was a nickname or a name of Jacob's brother who was called Esau. And Esau, his other name was Edom. And they had a scuffle. And that relationship between brothers, never, it never it was never strengthened. And later, God forms the nation of Israel from Jacob. And Jacob's name actually is changed to Israel. And so there was hostility among these uh, brothers, so to speak, and their lineage. And so Herod was, very, very, was a paranoid king. And so he oppressed the children of Israel. But not only that, before Herod, Herod had been put in place by the Romans. And the Romans had defeated the Greeks. And the Greeks had defeated the Persians. And Persians had defeated their, who are they? Can't remember the the, the other name who they had defeated, the Persians. I forget who they had, Babylonians actually. That's how the children of Israel, they were handed from one kingdom to another. And God was silent. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is silence from God. God says nothing for 400 years. And so you can imagine the children of Israel, this nation that had been set apart by God to glorify him and to worship him, and God was silent. God had promised a savior, but it seems you know, time was going by and God had forgotten. But as it happens to every human race, when God is silent and God takes so much time to fulfill his promises, hope is turned into despair. And so they must have felt that as much as they were unique people of God, at this time they were no longer the unique people of God because God's silence persisted and even they were taken or invaded by other nations. So the events surrounding Christ's birth were happening when the people were anxious and they were spiritually deflated. They had not much strength. So, but despite all this, we are introduced to this couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. Maybe you can call them Zach and Liz, you know, and Zechariah means. God will remember. God will remember. What will he remember? God will remember his covenant. That he will save his people. He bring to them a savior and a Messiah. Zechariah was married to Liz there. And Liz means that God is faithful to keep to his oath. That God is faithful to keep his word. And so we have a couple here with names that of deep uh, spiritual significance and that God, God will remember and not only that, they were also from a preserved lineage of priests, that is the Levites and because of that they were devout and they honored God and they followed God and pursued God a couple that is deeply spiritual and this, this is such a couple that you need close to you You need such a couple to be your friends. You need such a couple to be your neighbors because they not harm you, they not hurt you. They were gracious. You need such a couple in your real group because when you go to the house, you'll be blessed because of how spiritual they were. These are couples that you need in the church. These are couples that you need to meet this Christmas when you go for this family event and there is an auntie or an uncle that you don't like you know, this is such a couple that can give you peace and a reason to go home for Christmas. You know that? Very, very good couple. But despite this marvelous CV, we are told something about them. That there was a dark spot in their lives. A dark spot that only God could be able to erase. And this dark spot was that they were barren. They didn't have a child and yet they had advanced in years and so to Zechariah and Elizabeth people who had pursued God and loved God they were feeling like their lineage was coming to an end we do not have a child who will continue with our lineage they must have been afraid they were getting old who will take care of us when we are old not only that barrenness in this situation on in this culture was shamed and shunned it was looked as if God's judgment was upon them if not God's judgment God's curse was upon them. That's why they will not get a child. And look, he adds that small addition there that they were upright in the sight of God. That does not mean that they were sinless, but they were upright before God. They observed all the Lord's commandments, not even one they missed. Everything. They were pious and they loved God, and they lived for God all the days of their lives. But give it to Zach. As much as God had denied him the gift of a child, as much as he felt like God's heavy hand was upon them, that this God that he has served has denied them this, he still, or he was still excited to serve the Lord in the temple. That during that time, The Bible Bible commentators, and this one we see from verse 8, if you may read with me. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So what had happened during this time God had said that all those men in the lineage of uh, Aaron, all of them, they were to become priests and serve God. So over the years, many people had become priests. Bible commentators agree that there were about eighteen to twenty thousand priests during this time. And so what they did is to divide themselves into small uh, and small regiments, divisions, so that they can be able to be allocated at the time when they will serve God. But still, even these divisions, there were still quite many of the priests who were in there. And so what would happen is that they would, you know, they, would, they they throw a dice or toss a dice so that they may choose the one who will go before the Lord and present the prayers of the nation before the Lord and burn incense and present these prayers of the people of Israel, burning incense. And as the smoke, you know, went up, you know, the people, the worshippers would say, "Indeed, our prayers are rising up to God. May the Lord hear us and may the Lord deliver us." So when they cast or when the Lord's cast, it favored Zach and you must know that this was a momentous once in a lifetime chance that every priest looked forward to and many priests actually died without ever having served the Lord in, the, in, the, in, the, in this place in the temple because there were so many and the days were few and also many priests were also coming up So most likely, many of them died without ever serving God. So God orchestrates these moments, and I believe that God is in control of every human event. And divinely, God orchestrates that the lots will favor our friend, Zach. I wonder what kind of prayers that the priest would make inside this Holy of Holies. But I think they were prayers to remind God of the promised Savior. God rescue us from our enemies. We are under oppression. Send a savior who will come and redeem us. There will be prayers to remind God that they were still longing for the Messiah. In verse eleven, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. And was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him. Do not be afraid Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth. Will bear you a son. And you give, you are to give him. The name John. That the Lord appears. Before Zach. And as it happens to all. When. When one is in the presence of the Lord. There is Nothing that grips you like fear. I've never read anywhere when God's presence you know, manifested itself and the person there rejoiced. Every person fell down. Even the disciples of Christ. When Christ lifted up his hand and he was able to put the wind to a standstill, the disciples were filled with fear and they asked themselves, who is this? Pastor Madenge uh, you know, led us through the story of Isaiah he was gripped with fear he was gripped with fear because the presence of God is quite a huge experience and in preparation to this I was struck by that verse there verse 13 that says your prayers have been heard in verse 13 your prayers have been heard and I want to ask you what do you think this means do you think Zechariah was in that old age he was still praying for a son? I don't think so. One because when the angel of the Lord told him that you are going to get a son and we see that shortly. Zechariah didn't believe. If for example someone promises you something or you are praying for something. Maybe you you were praying for a special gift. And then you find it outside there You say the Lord has answered my prayers And you praise the Lord But in this case Zachariah doesn't believe so He doubts I think Because God had delayed Had taken so much time I think our guy had given up Maybe he was praying other prayers You know God give us the strength Sustain us even in our old age Protect us from arthritis And other diseases that come Watch over us, O God. Give us good eyesight. You know, maybe those are the prayers that he was praying. And also combining his personal prayers with the prayers of the nation. Friends, I want to let you know that, one, God, the prayers that you make to God, God never forgets about those prayers. Even when you forget about some of the things that you have prayed. And I pray that during this time of Christmas, you have time to look back and see how God has favored you and has answered you, even the prayers that you are oblivious about, and celebrate this season of Christmas by saying that indeed God's grace is upon me. Psalm 56, verse 8 says there, that you have taken account of my miseries. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And I love that verse because it reminds me that no prayer we make to God, no prayer that when we want to glorify the Lord, there is no prayer that the Lord doesn't hear. No prayer that the Lord doesn't answer. He puts it there. It is in God's hand. And you better believe so. He's not like us who forget about the prayers that we have made. He's not like us even when you approach by someone to pray, that we forget to pray for them. Like it happened once to me. Someone came and asked, you know, I want you to pray for me for one, two, three. And I promised. I promised him, I'm going to pray for you, my brother. And then events of life overtook me, and I forgot to pray for that person. A couple of weeks later, I meet with this person, and he's almost coming to hug me with great joy. Thank you for praying for me. The Lord has answered. But I'd never prayed for them. I never prayed for them. God never forgets. God remembers, brothers and sisters, the prayer that you make unto him. Even when you feel like the days are evil When your faith is growing weak Remember that God is faithful To keep his promises Paul says in the book of Second Timothy From chapter 2 somewhere there That if we are faith- faithless He is faithful for he can never Disown himself He is a faithful God So those prayers that you have made Some of them you have made them with your lips Others you have made them with your heart Others you have made them joyfully Others you have cried in tears The Bible says you have taken account Of my miseries Put my tears in your bottle And some of you have, have experienced this year A time or moments Of anguish and great pain May you continue trusting God Some of you have asked yourselves Can I really trust in this God And even you coming here to church, it's just a ritual I don't have any plot then I Come back And even the messages and the preaching that you hear doesn't penetrate your heart. I want to remind you that God takes account of all the tears, of all the mysteries. He has said that I have put your tears in a bottle. I know them. And I have counted them. So the angel of the Lord comes with this good news. That God will bless them with a son and this son will be called John. And John means that God has been gracious. It doesn't mean that God was gracious. It doesn't mean that God will be gracious. The name John means that God has been gracious. That to use Zechariah and Elizabeth, even the moments that you thought that I'm so far away from you, I have been gracious to you. That's what God is telling them. And he gives some directions about how this son will, the things that He will do. He says this, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I was trying to count them as I was preparing. And I, I realized that these are seven. These are seven characteristics that this son will bear. Which means it was he was a perfect son at a perfect time, given by a perfect God. Seven promises a number of perfection. The Lord who remembers his covenant and the one who keeps his oath as Zechariah and Elizabeth's name signify has finally spoken with the good news to remind them that he has always been gracious to them. Even for you brothers and sisters, the Lord has been gracious. Even in the times that you never knew, there are many things that the Lord has watched and has protected you and has shielded you from this year despite some of the tears that actually you have cried, despite the times that you have asked, is this God good? Can I trust this father? Does he even care for me? If God were to reveal everything, the things that were happening behind the scene, you fall down and worship like Zechariah did. I don't know what parents you feel if you, God were to tell you about this, Things about your child. Every parent desires the best for their children, even the parents who are here. And this was such a CV. This was such a promise. But we know very well on this other side that John didn't leave the path. At least from our eyes, whether he lived in the desert, he wore uh, he wore animal skins. He never used to wear even clothes, and he spent his time a lot of his time in the river. So you can imagine when parents meet, right? What does your child do nowadays? You know, and as the Karayan leaves, they look at each other. You know, I do not know the prayers that you pray for your children. But the thing is, pray that your children will live in the will of God. Sometimes as parents, we want to swindle God. You get, we want to guide God on where we want our children to go. May you rest with this prayer that God, may you do that which you want to do with my child. Today, thousands of years later, we read about John. And yet he didn't leave the path. But to God's eyes, he did. Somewhere, the parents of Samson, in the book of Judges chapter thirteen, they say, you know, and and Manoah, the father of uh, Samson, prayed this prayer. God, you know, send your angels back to come and teach us how to bring up this child. I pray that that will be the status or the conditions of our heart. But this news comes at a perfect time, that's what we are saying. And the Bible has two ways of observing time. One is called chronos, where we get the word chronology. we have our word to shine in the course of the week. I mean, this one is like seconds turn to minutes, minutes turn to hours, hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months to years that time is progressive and certain events must fall within certain times but also there is also another way of looking at it it is called Kairos and Kairos is God's timing whereby he interrupts our routines and makes a visitation that transforms our lives forever without caring the time or the season that you are in and when he comes, he interrupts it and changes the course of your life. It is a time of fulfillment. He interrupts this, and some of you have had that Kairos moment. You are here because God interrupted your life. The direction of your life was not heading the right way. And he, inter- he interrupted it. And you are here. Sometimes he interrupts it, and we feel like God, we feel like God has denied us something. Sometimes he interrupts it and we say that God's favor is upon me, but God's time is is perfect time. Isaiah 60 verse 22 says, when the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. It's not you. It's not others. It's not the community. I, the Lord, will make it happen. And so this was the right time. This was the right time. The time, and Christ will use this word occasionally. The time is fulfilled. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. That this is the right time to turn to God. And friends, many a times we are so preoccupied with Chronos that we miss the Kairos moments. Or we do not want to trust God during the Kairos moments because it doesn't make sense. And Zechariah would have missed his Kairos moments because he asked in the next verse, verse 18... How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. How can I be sure of this? And Zechariah perhaps is describing even the status of the Israelites around. They had lost hope. Years had passed. Generations had passed. And so he feels, I, God, you are not in each other. What if I trust in you then when you let down? How will I be sure of this? And God doesn't take kindly his doubt. He's a priest of God. He's approaching God in a ritualistic way. This is a time for prayers. Let's just pray. He lacks that conviction when the angel of the Lord tells him, this is what is going to happen. And God doesn't take kindly his doubt. Because naturally, God doesn't like someone who is in doubt. And so God takes the remotes and mutes the guy. Says this, and you can sense the tone. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper, at their kairos time. God's take offense. And I, I was wondering, why would God be so angry with this and punish a man, anyway, who's... Question was sincere and genuine. So nien and laugh, then you let me down. But I think God was angry with him because of this word that is verse 17 up there, part B. That this son John, he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Why are you, Zechariah, doubting? my plan of salvation, there is no one who can doubt or who can doubt the plan that I have for the salvation of my people. And then he says, it's like God says, instead of you spreading rumors, Huko, you know if you can't speak and you can't proclaim this good news with your mouth, you are going to proclaim it even in your silence. Because of this meanwhile verse 21, the people are waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple, like many do even now. Why is this service taking too long, you know? (laughs) And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. They were outside, and then there were these, you know, the blessings that are found in the book of Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, the ones that we always repeat here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Go home. They await those words. The priest comes and he tries to make the sound, the voice, this word, to to say these words, benediction. But he can't. He is speechless. Maybe it was the first in the Bible (laughs) the guy is mute, no sound can come out of his mouth the people realize that something significant has happened and so they went home saying he must have seen a vision and the people were excited maybe the Lord after 400 years has visited us again and so after a short while the Bible says there When his time of service was completed, he returned home. So you can try to imagine how he went home. You know, wives, your husband left talking, and then he came back full of strength, because the lady conceived after that, full of strength, (laughs) but not speaking. Men, even in such circumstances of disability, can still (laughs) carry on with some tasks. Let's jump from verse 26 because we looked at that next next week and go all the way to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. You know, and I was struck by that because verse 13, the one that we have read says he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. In verse 58 says, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown her great mercy and they shared in her joy. After some days, this small boy is born and is taken after eight days in verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That this boy now, the sign of the covenant is going to be placed on him. Remember Zechariah, we said earlier, that it means God remembers his covenant. And just before the priest gives him this name, Zechariah, because it was the custom of that day, his mommy says, no. No. He's to be called John. Which means that God is gracious to us. God has been gracious. They doubt the mother. An attitude that hasn't changed to date. And so they ask the father who is mute. Men sometimes, you know. There's a woman here who is speaking and there's a man who is here not speaking. But you'd rather believe the one who is not speaking. You know, so they go to their father and ask him. What is his name? But the guy is mute. The father inscribed the name John. He had to chisel it out and cut it out. And the name John actually in the original language is a bit longer. Cut it out on a tablet. That this son's name will be John because the, the Lord has been gracious to us. That's a very, very special visitation from God that now this name, his name will be made on a stone, will be planted there for long, it's not a name that will be washed away or easily forgotten and to remind them that God has been gracious a couple that had known nothing else but the law, had now experienced the grace of God and this makes this visitation very special and uh, Zechariah where he had struggled to believe now doesn't struggle to believe that hardcore unbelief has been turned to faithful obedience and gives his son the name John immediately after that his tongue is loosed and he erupts with a song of praise that is called Benedictus and it's a song of freedom and praise that the savior has come if you read it we may not have enough time to read it perhaps you can do that in your personal study that's the faith that your pastors have with you that indeed you are going to read it in Jesus name we yes alright good thank you and let me just take a few verses here verse 68 says praise be to the Lord the God of Israel because he has come and has redeemed his people And Zechariah praises even before his faith has been turned to sight. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. And at that moment, you know, Jesus was just an embryo growing in his mother's womb. And Zechariah, who had struggled to believe earlier, now believes and says, we praise the Lord because he has come to redeem his people. I pray that we'll be able to look back and when we see the things that God has done that our faith can grow and trust in him even for the things that we haven't seen yet that we we'll be strengthened as a community of faith as believers we'll be strengthened in our walk with God verse 74 says this to rescue us from our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear because we were serving God at that moment with a lot of fear Herod was not a very good king to them. He oppressed them and killed them. And even later when Jesus is born, all the boys below two years old, all of them were killed because he was paranoid and feared his throne. But Zechariah says that this Savior has come to rescue us from our fears. Verse 77, he now blesses his child, actually from verse 76, and says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now he believes it. Now he's happy. And how will this Savior who is coming, how will he come? You know, the First John in verse 77 says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And how will this sins be forgiven in verse 78 because of the tender mercies of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from the heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of of peace. Friends, Zechariah, who was anxious, he sings a song. He sings a song of praise to the Almighty from strife to a song That indeed the visitation of God has come. And he sings this song. Initially he was in a place of despair and anxiety. But now he has hope of what this savior, this Messiah will do. I pray that even for us, this Christmas, the first Christmas was a time of great anxiety. But it ended up being a time of great hope. It doesn't matter how the year has been for you, friends. No matter the challenges that perhaps you may have experienced, I pray that during this season of Advent, that indeed you'll be able to look back and raise a song of praise to the God Almighty because God has been gracious to you. That you can come from anxiousness to a place of hope. I pray that you believe these words and accept his gracious gift to you. We see that the chapter 1 of Luke starts With a time that people were deflated in all ways But it ends with a song Because the Messiah has come I pray that you look into this situation And be able to praise God And to ask God to come and intervene in every situation That you may have faced And bless him for he is still gracious to you If you are a child of God May the Lord bless you and keep you And have a lovely week Even as you think about these things of Christmas Amen Amen